brought to you by Charity Mobile, the phone company that sends 5% of your monthly plan price to your favorite charity. No contracts, nationwide coverage, risk-free guarantee. Learn more at CharityMobile.com. We've got some weird messaging coming from Rome in the past few days. Rome wants you, the typical Catholic, to know that everything in the church is so much better than it was before Francis was placed on the throne of Peter by the St. Gallen group. Things are in fact so much better because Francis completed the work of his predecessors, or he is almost done with that work. By freeing it from the almost heresy of it being too morally and doctrinally rigid, Francis has one of the main propagandists in his employ, sending that message out to the world now, likely because Francis is getting pressure to step down and make way for a new dark lord of the modernists, someone far younger than him. But Francis may not be as confident of the outcome of a conclave as his allies, so he's sending a clear message to the world. Things in the church are apparently great, and he's the one responsible for being great, or so he wants us to believe. In news that will surely disappoint many of you, Francis is probably not going to be resigning from the papacy. He's just not going to do that. He's sending a pretty clear message now about that. Of course, he might change his mind, but that's the message. Headline from Reuters. Hopes are for life. Resignations should not become a fashion, Francis says. Now, he's saying that after telling us a month or two ago that he's already signed a resignation letter to be turned in in the event of his becoming incapacitated or of his various ailments get too much for him. And he's saying that after he previously said that he hopes this beak does become a normal thing done by popes. So why the change of opinion now? People think he's throwing shade at Benedict XVI with the story, but I think it's actually something else. I'd quote the article, but it's literally two paragraphs in length so that I just summarized in one sentence. So what's going on here? Francis has previously hinted at resigning and has said he thought it was a good idea for popes to resign, and even had his own plans of how he would handle his own resignation. But I think he's not ready to step down and sees too much work left to be done in either building his ape of the church from Catholic prophecy, which he's calling the Synodal Church now, and he's getting pressure to resign from various men around him, possibly from the new version of the St. Gallen group, because there was news that a new group of prelates has been meeting in St. Gallen, Switzerland, like their predecessors. He's most likely signaling to them that he's not ready to step down quite yet. Now, an alternative to that is that despite having 70% of the cardinals who will choose his successor being his own creatures, he's not confident in how a conclave would go. If that's the case, then expect an announcement for a consistory soon, with it happening in late summer as they typically do. A consistory is where a bishop or even priest on rare occasion is promoted to the office of cardinal by the pope. There are currently fewer cardinals than required by canon law due to a wave of retirements, so keep an eye out for that story. This news coincides with the release of what is perhaps the single greatest piece of Francis fanfiction ever written by professional Francis fanfiction writer Austin Ivray, who probably owes me royalties over the number of copies of his book The Great Reformer that I've helped him sell. If you buy it, get a copy of the first edition, meaning go to eBay or Amazon if you can get a copy there, because Mr. Ivory tells way too much of the actual truth about Jorge Bergoglio's time as priest and then bishop and archbishop in Argentina and his role in working with the, the infamous regime in that part of the world. That part was pared back rather heavily in future editions of the book, so get a first edition. 
But anyway, Mr. Ivory published a hysterical piece in America magazine that aims to rewrite the history of this papacy. Francis is leaving all the shade throwing at Benedict to his underlings like Mr. Ivory, if that's even what's going on here. And this article is meant to remind everyone how great a job he's done building the church the modernists actually want, because what they want isn't the Catholic Church. They want something with the name Catholic, but something else. The purpose of this is to remind the modernists of what Francis has done for them, which is either his response to the pressure he may be getting to resign the papacy, or he's reminding them the next conclave is still too shaky at this time, and that he needs to hand, hang on for a little longer so they don't lose everything that they've built. Mr. Ivory is one of the voices for Francis in the English-speaking world. When he talks, people listen. So with that, headline from American Magazine. The Francis Revolution. Over the past 10 years, the Pope has recovered the Church's true power. Aha. You may be asking what the Church's true power is. Mr. Ivray is happy to tell us. You see, the true power of the Church is apparently not in making the forgiveness of sins possible, or the miracle of baptism, or the Eucharist, or in the fact that you have to be a member of the Church to be saved since it was founded on Christ. And he said that you have to listen to, you know, the bishops and be in communion with them and the rest. No, none of that. Mr. Ivory, the true power of the church, is apparently in service. You see, why I call Mr. Ivory a professional fan fiction writer is because it's a much nicer term than what I should be calling him, which is a propagandist that would have made the Bolsheviks blush. His thesis is this. Francis has decentralized power in the church and made the church from the lowest-ranking priest and even layperson to the papacy and everywhere in between less centralized in power and more about listening and group hugs and putting the powerful at the service of the less powerful. A statement reveals a lot about the modernist think of the church. They believe that the historic Catholic church, the church established by Jesus Christ himself, got off on the wrong foot and became totalitarian in nature. They usually won't say why they feel that way, but get a couple of beers in one of them and they'll start talking about the oath against modernism and the suppression of the modernist heretics and academic freedom and all the rest meaning the anti-modernist popes and the counter-reformation popes were wrong, and the church was the bad guy for a lot of its history. And they say that we claim the church defected in her mission at Vatican II when we criticize Vatican II, but they are saying something far worse than anything mean trads like me have been saying about Vatican II. Here's Mr. Ivory saying this nonsense for himself. Quote, where not long ago, the Vatican was notorious for its haughty manner, its centralism, and its authoritarianism. There is now a climate of service and of freedom. A constant stream of directives issued without first engaging the parties affected has long since tried to a trickle. <laughs> Sorry, Traditionus Custodus is just jumping to mind here. The few directives that the Vatican issues these days follow extensive patient consultation. No longer... Does Rome use anonymous denunciations or delations to discipline bishops, and it is hard to recall a single instance in the past decade where theologians' orthodoxy has been put on trial. Bishops from local churches on their ad limina visits to the Vatican are amazed now to find they are no longer treated as subordinates. Officials look visiting bishops in the eye, want to listen and help. Article 1 of the new Apostolic Constitution of the Roman Curia, Predicate Evangelium, implemented last year, makes clear that the Curia does not place itself between the Pope and the bishops, but is at the full service of both, facilitating an exchange of gifts between the local churches. 
the Roman Curia no longer acts to block and control access to the Pope and the corruption that went with this gatekeeping role is history. <laughs> Gone too are the powerful papal secretaries. Francis's have such little profile, most would be hard-pressed to name them. Under John Paul II, the Roman bodies representing the world's one million men and women religious, viewed with suspicion by the Vatican, were denied a meeting with the Pope for more than 10 years. Now, Francis's meetings with the two international organizations that represent women religious and men religious, the USG and the UISG, respectively, are so frequent they barely generate comment. <laughs> End quote. I could get on, but you get the idea. That article's hysterical. Rome is only less authoritarian if you're not a traditional religious who just wants to live the ancient charisms and religious life of your founder and community. Rome is only less authoritarian if you don't want the same mass that can be traced back to Pope St. Gregory the Great in the 6th century, or even if you want the new mass to look and feel Catholic in its offering. Make any of those mistakes, and Rome is extremely central in its power and authoritarian in its mooring. Note something that Mr. Ivere stated in that article. Rome no longer puts bishops and priests on trial for their lack of orthodoxy. Wouldn't it actually be nice if Rome did a little more of that these days? I'm asking that in a very serious way. Pastor Jimmy Martin of the Jesuit Church says a lot of things that so blatantly conflict with the deposit of the faith, and he gets away with it. He gets celebrated for it. He leads souls astray. He gets celebrated by Rome for his errors. The German bishops cause Rome all kinds of headaches because they push for change. Too hard and too fast for even Rome's taste. These are the two easiest examples of what happens when Rome doesn't try to maintain the actual Catholic faith. Mr. Ivere is celebrating that. But of course he is. Historically, the modernists hate Pope St. Pius X because of his implementation of the oath against modernism and his attempt to destroy the modernist movement. They hate Pascendi. I'm surprised the thing's even available on the Vatican's website for reading. He was very nearly successful at smashing the modernists, by the way. And if his successors, Pius XI, Benedict XV, and the rest, had shared in his zeal for the enforcement of orthodoxy, the church may be in a better state today than it is. I'll let Mr. Ivere tell you what's really going on here. A reform of the church, according to the modernists, away from law and towards being guided by some phantom spirit. Note here that they don't typically really say Holy Spirit, at least not initially. And they almost never say the Holy Spirit in general. Here he does mention the Holy Spirit by name at the end, but it's pretty obvious that it's not the Holy Spirit doing these things to the church. From his article, quote, These and many other changes signal not merely a reform of governance, but a shift in agency. From a semi-Pelagian trust in the power of law to a new confidence in the power of the Spirit. Unity is no longer imposed through the coercion of uniformity, but is the gift that flows from communion, which is enabled by a culture of reciprocity and mutual listening. Where juridical acts have been necessary, Pope Francis's 2020 regulation of the traditional Latin Mass brings to mind. It is to place boundaries to defend that culture. Revealing statement there, they were protecting their revolution from the Latin Mass. Francis in Predicate Evangelium is explicit that the reform is to recover, quote, the experience of missionary communion lived by the apostles with the Lord while he was on earth and following Pentecost, in the first community of Jerusalem under the effect of the Holy Spirit. End quote. Called the way the church was run for most of its history, semi-Pelagian. What he, Francis, and the rest of the modernists are saying is that the church was guilty of becoming almost heretical in the past. 
They can't say that the church fell into heresy because at that point they would become full-blown Protestants since they claim to be reforming the church in the same way Luther did, but without leaving the church like he and the rest of the heretics in the so-called Reformation did. By the way, at the Second Vatican Ecumenical Non-Binding Pastoral Council, the modernists said to each other that they were not leaving the church this time, but changing it from within to accomplish what Luther wanted. So you know they are heretics by their own admission. But calling the church semi-Pelagian means that the church got cozy with the heresy known as Pelagianism, which can be summarized as a rejection of the power of baptism and original sin itself by overemphasizing free will when talking about sin, that we freely choose sin. That's Pelagianism. It's also the oversimplified version of it. But whenever they accuse trads of being Pelagian or semi-Pelagian, they are bristling at our insistence on upholding the church's moral law. Uh, restrictions of the sacraments to those who are obstinate public sinners and trying to normalize sin by rejecting the only other logical position, which is the church's position historically as the next best thing to heresy. They accuse us essentially of being heretics or the next, next best thing. The modernists are a nasty bunch, folks. Never forget that. So Francis is not resigning. And instead, his lackeys are out there writing puff pieces, reminding everyone out of what a bang-up job he's done at making the church into a new religion. Is this a sign that he's worried about the next conclave and wants to stay on as long as possible to ensure that the next conclave goes the way the modernists actually want? Or is he just trying to secure his own power? Let me know in the comments, please. Like and subscribe if you haven't. It does help. As to sharing this on social media, that helps a lot too. Consider becoming a supporter of the channel at Subscribestore, Patreon, or whichever option you like. Options in the box below. And as always, pray for the church. I'm Anthony Stein. Ave Maria.